I think that he's going to be in a major league uniform after the All-Star break. The only time I was really nervous was that one-minute swing-off in the second round against Peterson. It's just very evident. If you don't, it doesn't happen in minor leagues, it's because it's a joke. Welcome to another episode of Digging In with J.P. and Sevia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne, and today on the show we have, I think you could argue, the most successful batting practice pitcher of all time, a man by the name of John Schneider. I suppose he has some other expertise as well, a very successful minor league manager, catch and coach for the Blue Jays, but uh, you know, to many Blue Jays fans, the guy who was just serving up beautiful ball after ball to Vladdy in that home run derby. I'm going to have to let you introduce him, or you're going to have to introduce him as that, because I think that'll be probably the best introduction right there as the as the most uh, all-time best pitcher in the home run derby. I think that's a pretty cool accolade. He, does, he has done a lot of cool things. He's obviously been through the whole Jays organization, has won championships in the minor leagues, was a catcher when I was a catcher in the organization. He was a catcher in the organization. Um, back in the day, he was that, that kind of that, that minor league lifer. And it's nice to see him in the big leagues and contributing. I mean, he's, he has been, I would love to hear, we have to ask him um, how many years he's been in the Blue Jays organization. Cause it's been quite some time. Yeah. He's a guy that if you've been paying attention to the Blue Jays minor league organization, very closely, his name continues to pop up. He's won uh, titles at multiple levels at high A with Dunedin and then with double A as well. And he's come along with his own players to the major leagues, which is something I feel like not a lot of guys get to do, bring a group of players all the way through the Myers and come to the major leagues. And at some point when the manager search was going on, I know there were a few people floating his name out as a potential manager for 2019. That didn't end up happening, but he's clearly a guy with a bright future in this game. Yeah, I think at some point we'll see him probably as a major league manager at some uh, with some team. Who knows? Maybe the Blue Jays, you know, further on down the line. But it's just nice. It's nice to see that he didn't get, even though he did not get the the head, you know, the managerial position, that he still got a position in the major league staff because I think that he's deserved it um, with what he's done throughout the minor leagues and the way he's developed guys and just you know, I think that's a big part of, of having those young guys there is to have somebody that they feel very comfortable with. So before we get to John, I wanted to talk a little bit about baseball rules because and we, we've touched on this before in terms of the MLB rule changes, but as some of the listeners know, or maybe not, the MLB is using the independent league of the Atlantic League to kind of stress test some new baseball ideas. I think it's a really cool idea, this league becoming something of a laboratory for them. And in the second half, they had a couple that really made some headlines. They released it during the All-Star break, and I wanted to go over a few of them to hear a player's perspective on how these rules seem to you. And the one that made headlines kind of all over the place was batters quote-unquote stealing first base now that's so stupid they didn't they're not exactly stealing first base they're running to first base on any wild pitch or any pitch not caught by the catcher you have the opportunity to run to first base if you want to and i know from a catcher's perspective this cannot seem like a good rule whatsoever from any perspective i think even hitters think that it's stupid it's listen first off i think that that them having a guinea pig league is is a joke as well. I know that you said that you like the testing lab. I think it's actually a joke for me. It's something that these guys are still trying to 
possibly make it back to the big leagues, possibly make it to affiliated baseball, and they're having to deal with this. I mean, I'm just going to say it, bullshit. It's it's stupid, and it's dumb, and I think that it's a waste. It's a joke to the game, but whatever. The stealing the first base, let's just even get into this. I had a pitcher first off tell me, when we were talking about this, obviously I won't say the name, but he said, if a guy, if I ever had somebody steal first base on me, the next time he came up, I would hit him in the head. He's like, I would make sure he'd never, ever do, because that's that's a joke. What if the catcher now, if he throws a ball, pitchers are going to be scared to throw balls in the dirt because if he throws a ball, a ball in the dirt and he doesn't, and he doesn't block it with nobody on, which it's what you're taught to do. And all of a sudden this guy can run the first base. Now what happens if there's a big backstop or not a big backstop? Now he can run all the way and it. Now it's a double that he, he gets to second base. Who's earned run is it? This is just, it's, it's a joke to me because it's, I feel like you, you need to, and, and uh, Francisco Lindor actually said this. He, he said he hated it. He's like, no, dude, I want to earn my way onto first base. I'm not stealing first base because of a drop ball. I just think it's it's literally asinine. I think that it's stupid. Yeah, you're not going to get too much disagreement from me on that particular rule. It just it's a one of the ones where the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Like a pitcher misses a ball in the dirt. Sometimes a pitcher, oftentimes, is trying to bury a ball in the dirt. He's ahead in the count. He wants to take no risks with the pitch and see if he can get a guy hacking. And sometimes you can. And to take that out of a pitcher's repertoire seems stupid to me. You know, yeah, exactly. You he missed with one pitch, and as a result, he gives up a whole base runner. Like a whole base runner can derail an entire inning. It it doesn't make any sense to me. And I actually kind of, you know, this is a silly part of it, but I kind of like when you're watching a baseball game and there are no runners on, and the catcher just lets a ball go, like a ball just goes past him, and he just doesn't care about it. And I think that's kind of a cool part about baseball, and that it doesn't have to be so intense every second it has kind of its down moments and that's a classic example of one of those down moments and if you take that away then catchers have to be on their guard you know every single pitch of the game and be so locked in and I mean I'm sure you can speak to this but I imagine that would be extremely stressful and just put a big mental weight on you yeah no it's it's dumb it's dumb and I think that even so and then what pitchers start throwing it to the backstop to let the guy run and throw a guy out. Like it's just, it's just a dumb rule. And I think that it's kind of embarrassing that these guys have to be the guinea pigs in the Atlantic league. Some of, some of the rules that they're proposing, I could get behind that one's definitely not one of them. The second one they're putting in at this half was pitchers have to step off the rubber on pickoffs. I don't like this one either. I like pickoffs. I think a pickoff is an exciting play in baseball it just seems like MLB has decided there needs to be more runs scored for the game to be more exciting, and they're trying to facilitate that any way they can. And so they want to make it easier for runners to steal, I guess. But I think a pickoff is a really exciting play in baseball, and I wouldn't want to make it more difficult for pitchers to do that. This is one I could actually – like the stealing first, that's not going to happen in the major leagues. Like I can't see any world where that happens. This one I could see it happening because I could see them motivated to increase offense this way. But, again, I wouldn't be behind it. Yeah, all that would do is is create more stolen bases. It's really all it would do. That There's nothing – I mean, it would also suck for the catcher again because then the guys would be running because they don't have to – they can take a much bigger lead. Guys that are already guys that, you know, are fast enough where it's just a bang-bang play, they're going to be standing up easy stolen bases. I, I mean, I just think 
I just think you got to be careful trying to do too much and trying to change the the game too much because then it's going to be I mean honestly it's going to become a joke. Yeah, and some of them like again they want to create more offense but defensive plays in this game are some of the most exciting plays. Again, I like pickoffs and I like seeing a catcher throw a runner out at second or third base. I think that's something the fans would get excited about. Like that's a good part of this game. So trying to limit that in favor of stolen bases, some of which, like you say, like say it's Billy Hamilton, be borderline uncontested. And I don't think that's an exciting play, even if it results in more runs. This one was a little bit interesting to me. One foul bunt with two strikes. I still don't think I would support it. It seems a bit gimmicky to me. It seems like why would a rule apply just one time? But that one was one that I didn't dismiss offhand the moment I saw it because... I can see I can see something to it. I don't think anyone likes watching guys strike out on foul bunts. I don't think that's a play people want to see. So if you minimize that play and allow guys to put more bunting into the game, it's not my favorite thing. But if the result is more bunts and fewer strikeouts on foul bunts, I guess I could see an upgrade there. Yeah, I mean, that's one that, us, that could have a conversation. I still think, you know, it's a, it's a weird ordeal it's I'm not I'm not like opposed to it as much as I'm opposed to all the other things but I just think at the end of the day it's it's giving a chance for all these are going to give a chance for more offense right this gives another chance for more offense and it gives a chance for a guy to try to because with two strikes defense always plays back and that's something that's happened you know with the shift all these different things they'll have a guy shifted or a guy playing in two strikes everybody moves back so it gives that hitter an extra opportunity to lay down a bunt, which then brings in that third baseman. And now they can have, you know, then now that it, that equates to more hits for some guys. So, I mean, it, 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 it does change the game a little bit, but it's not to the point where it's like, this is, is this crazy? I bet you pitchers in the national league would, would enjoy this because it'd give them a little bit more chance, but also I think there should be a DH in the national league anyway. So it is what it is. Then final one, and then we can, before we go Schneider, can touch again on the whole premise of this league, but is this one is so vague to me. Is batter-friendly check swings where, so when in doubt, I guess they're going to err on the side of the batter, kind of like when in doubt you go with a play that's called on the field. I don't know. I just, I feel like it, the check swing is pretty ambiguous as it is, like adding another layer of confusion to it does not seem like a solution to any problem. I, I like, I can't imagine who pitched that one. Like what if we have slightly more favorable check swings for batters? Like, I don't know what the hell that looks like, to be honest. Well, you're, you're spot on. I mean, it's already a ambiguous, like it's, there's arguments about it all the time already with the rule in place. And so guys are, some umpires call it, and, and it's not even close. Some guys take almost full swings, and they don't call it. The, the one thing is, as a player and all players, if you ask, and I would, you know, I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I would say that there's going to be a very, very high percentage, or almost all of them, to say, listen, we don't care about the check swing as much as take it out of the, umpi- the umpire at home plate's hands. That's what they want. They don't want the, the home plate umpire – calling it right out of the gate. That's why you see a lot of guys, you know, Adrian Beltre, he was famous for taking a check swing and pointing at the base because he, all he wanted was somebody to ask the first base co- or the first base umpire if you're a righty or ask the third base umpire if you're a lefty. 
that's all hitters want is just get help. Don't do it yourself. You don't have to be the, the macho man and, and, oh, I'm the one that saw the swing because a lot they, they mess up a lot. So just ask the guys down the line. And then, listen, if it is what it is, you know, strike or ball, whatever they want to say that he went or he didn't, you can live with it. But I feel like that's all guys want is just to take it out of the home plate umpire's hand. Yeah, and I think that home plate umpires sometimes are less inclined to ask for help. Maybe that's an ego thing. Also hesitant to slow down the game. But really, it just doesn't happen often enough for them to be worried about it, I don't think. So, yeah, for me, that's a rule that doesn't move the needle much. Before we head to Schneider, I just wanted to say that I totally get where you're coming from on this league. And there are guys who are in this league and they're working – you know, they're working to make it to Major League's affiliate ball. Like, for example, we had Travis Snyder on the show last year. He's a, a guy very familiar to Blue Jays fans, and he was in this league last year, and now he moved, moved to affiliated ball. So guys do go that direction, and it does suck for them. I do think on the flip side of that, baseball could stand to be open-minded about rule changes. I know that the NFL does it all the time, and it doesn't always work, but I do think that the game should always be trying to improve and they need somewhere to try and figure these things out, and these guys are a little bit of a victim of that, but I do think that there's a bigger picture as well in trying to make baseball better. Yeah, but, I, I mean, when you say bigger picture as well, try to make baseball better, the reason – so when they, they test rules out, they test them out in the minor leagues. I mean, they've had the pitch clock. They've had a, a ton of different things in the minor leagues that are different from the big leagues, but the difference is, is – I think that Major League Baseball knew that these were so like out of the ordinary and so ridiculous that they put it on on the independent league to try it because in in a minor league baseball that wouldn't have flown. So uh, that's what makes me kind of kind of upset is like don't just crap on these dudes that are trying to I mean cuz almost a lot of those guys and you know Travis was talking about a lot of these guys are play are pretty much paying out of pocket to play because they're not making any money in the independent league. So you're going to have these guys trying to, to make it back to affiliated ball, try to try to live a dream, get back to the big leagues. And then you're going to make them play this kind of clown baseball is, is what it is to me. So it's like, I think it's, I think it's a little bit disrespectful to the guys that are in that league. And I'm sure a lot of them would feel like, Hey, this is a joke. And I'm sure there's others that maybe think that is great, but, I think that's it's just very evident. If you don't, it doesn't happen in minor leagues. It's because it's a joke, and they're going to push it onto these guys here in AAA or, or excuse me, uh, in, in independent ball because it's like, hey, they're not as important. Well, that's shit. I think that you can't just do that to people. I yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing. I'm sure there's going to be stories coming out in the next few weeks and months about how players themselves felt about this. So we're going to move on to. Uh, the main event, Mr. John Schneider. It, it just occurred to me when we we're going to do this podcast that in this moment in history, you might be the most successful batting practice pitcher of all time. So that's how I wanted to present you. John Schneider, the most <laughs> successful batting practice pitcher there's ever been in the history of baseball. Thank you very much. That's something I've been working hard for for the past 10 years or so. So to finally be name that is awesome maybe you'll get a little plaque in the hall of fame for that <laughs> yeah <laughs> or like a medal or like a certificate or something yeah <laughs> snides quick so that people understand i you know how long have you been 
in the Toronto Blue Jays organization? Because obviously you were a player and then the coach and now in the big leagues with them. This is my 18th year as a player, coach, manager. Got drafted in 2002, uh, played in the minor leagues up till 2008 in the springtime and then started coaching at the end of that spring training. And then I've been in the system ever since. Um, managed for 10 years and then here, this is my first year in the big leagues. So all I've ever known is the Blue Jays and I've been very fortunate to, uh, to be with one organization this entire time. How does that transition work? Because I've, I've heard guys, you know, when they have the, the conversations with the organization, they say, hey, you know, we're, we may not use you as a player anymore, but we'd love to have you as a, as a coach. How, how did that transition work for you? It was kind of that exact conversation, and it was something that I had been thinking about for about a year uh, towards the end of my playing career. So uh, the conversation was just that. It said, you know, we, we view you as a pretty good uh, player development guy, a coach, a manager down the road. So offers on the table. Uh, so it was, it was easy to accept the offer. It was a little bit tough to kind of go from the AAA clubhouse and minor league camp to the staff the next morning and in the staff locker room. That was the only tough part. Uh, but all my buddies, all my former teammates went on and they were in AA, AAA, whatever it was. And I stayed back in, in short season. So it was easier for me to kind of connect with these young kids and be known more of as a coach, not as the player that is just now starting to coach. John, I wanted to touch on a couple things from the Derby. It does seem like the pitch is such a routine thing. It's something that you do throwing batting practice. But what is the trickiest part of that? Because it's you know it's a night of doing it. It's probably not a huge arm workload. Is it getting tired? Is it getting nervous? Is it making adjustments between rounds? Because it seems like a simple thing. But on the flip side, and I don't want to totally rag on a guy, but whoever was throwing to Pete Alonso was putting it all over the place, and he was struggling all night. And you got you were piping them to Vladdy, and clearly, I think that made a big difference, especially in those first two rounds. Yeah, I think BP is you know. Every- I think to the normal person, BP looks easy. And to baseball people, I think everybody knows that it's kind of an acquired uh, skill. You got to work on it. It's not as easy as it looks, but the Derby was fun. Um, I was kind of more nervous about being nervous than I was about being tired. I wasn't tired throughout the whole night. Uh, I was a little bit sore on Tuesday, I think, just because of adrenaline. And you don't realize how many balls are actually thrown. But it's the timing aspect of it. It's throwing as many strikes as you can in an allotted time period. So. That part of it is a little nerve-wracking. I think the stage and, you know, normal batting practice, you got the cage over the hitter, you know, every day, and then not having a cage and having a catcher back there is just a different um, look for a coach or anyone who's throwing BP. So that's why Vladdy and I practiced it the week before. So it's – he can get the timing. We can go over the rules. I could kind of get the view that I'm going to have in Cleveland. And um, the only time I was really nervous was that one-minute swing-off in the second round against Peterson because it was – Four minutes, if you throw a ball here or there, it's no big deal. The hitter kind of needs a break anyway. But one minute, I try to throw every ball right down the middle, right where he wanted it. Um, and thankfully, it worked out. But it's, um, it is a little nerve-wracking. Was there a moment during that whole process where you realized, okay, something really, really special is happening tonight? Because we've seen you know big first rounds from guys before. But then, you know, Vladi goes on to hit 30 more home runs than anyone's ever done in this competition. We could talk about wins and losses in the format, but just the amount of home runs he hits is ridiculous. Was there a time when you thought, oh, okay, this is going to be something people remember? Yeah, I think it was after the first round, really, when he hit the 29 homers, and I didn't even realize that that was a single-round record. Um, I remember watching Josh Hamilton at Yankee Stadium and thinking, wow, that'll never be done again. 
um, and for Vladdy to do it in a different format with the time, you know, the four minute time frame or the four and a half minute time frame. When he got done with that and someone told me, oh, that was a new record, I said, wow, okay, we got we got something going here. I didn't even realize how many he was hitting um, or how many he hit the first round. And then he did it again in the second round. And after 29 in the second round and he went first, we kind of just sat there and we were kind of casually watching Jock Peterson hit. And then all of a sudden, about with a minute and a half left, we were like, there's no way he can just do what Vladdy just did. And then to have the tiebreakers and to have that whole head-to-head thing with those two guys, I think was unbelievable. Um, but I think after the first round, you kind of knew that, all right, he's on to something here. <laughs> Is it on the on the baseball field? Because I know people that have actually have, have thrown in the home run derby as well. <clears throat> they've played baseball, and they've told me that it's the most nerve. It's the most nervous they've ever been on a baseball field. Would you say that that was the most like nervous you've been on a baseball field ever? Uh, second, it, it comes in second. The most nervous I've ever been on a field came last year um, when my wife surprised me with a gender reveal on the field in New Hampshire. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was terrified I was going to swing and miss at the ball and the, the color was just going to hit the ground. But that was a close second. <clears throat> I think when you look at the stage and you look at, you know, it's it's just different for people that throw BP and coaches. It's just such a different look and it's a different feel. Um I tried to have more fun with it than be nervous, but the nerves are definitely there. Do you, you know, you've been around, obviously, uh, this game for a while, and I think, we, you know, we talk about home runs in the game. Is it how, – how different do you think it is now from even when you started? It's different from when I started to watch these guys. You see Acuna leaving the, the yard, at all parts of the yard. You see these guys just hitting absolute tanks. How crazy is it to where how, – how far this game has evolved? Man, it's even in the last handful of years, it's it's changed, you know. And I think that guys spend so much time working on a specific swing, and they've got all the all these um, outside resources. They have all sorts of technology to help them break down their swing mechanics. And um, guys are throwing harder, so it's like to watch guys like you watch Acuna in the Derby up close, and it was. I'm going to hit 15 homers out the left. I'm getting a little tired, so I'm going to go to the short porch to right. And it's it's crazy to watch how talent a how talented these these guys are, how strong they are, and just really how much they understand what their swing is doing. You know, it's um it's really weird. I think that you know even when you and I played JP and you had a you had a ton of power, especially for a catcher. And it's you look at that now and it's kind of like, oh okay, yeah, that's what that's what big league hitters do. They hit they hit it with a ton of pop. Um, it's just weird, you know. The 240 with 30 is way more acceptable than the 300 with 10 um, was, even you know, however many years ago. So, games change, and I think the the biggest thing is guys are are willing to adapt to what the game is doing. And um, I'm thinking in another handful of years, the game's going to change back, and those 300 hitters with you know some stolen bases are going to be a hot commodity again. So, it's uh, just the way the game is, and it is. It's really, really. Um, interesting to kind of watch how it unfolds john i'm not sure that many blue jays fans know too much about what you do day in day out but one of the big parts of your job is working with catchers and i know it's very hard to get a coach to take credit for any kind of player development but uh keeping that in mind danny jansen has taken a big step forward in terms of his defensive work this year and whether you're looking at metrics or you're just watching him play and last year, people thought he was a little bit shaky back there in a few ways. And this year, he's really seemed to solidify his game. What are some of the things that you've worked on with Danny over the course of the year and during spring training? Uh, for one, it's 
trying to just let him uh, be more athletic, trying to put him in uh, positions to where he can move a little bit more efficiently, whether that's to receive the ball, block the ball, or throw the ball. Um, he's, uh, I think that he's still young and he's still learning the actual ins and outs of the position. We spent the first month and a half probably focusing more on game plan breakdown and how we're going to approach a different team. Uh, he had to digest a whole lot of information more so than more than he was used to and did a great job with it all while he's trying to hit. And I think that's why you kind of start, you know, you saw him get off to such a slow start offensively was there was a lot of his play defensively. So. Uh, to his credit, never stopped working. Um, he's been very open-minded to change. He's, he's tweaked the way he's received the ball a little bit. Um, starting in spring training, he's tweaked the way that he, you know, sets up to get ready to throw a little bit. And a lot of it is is him. Uh, you know, he deserves a lot of the credit. I'm here to kind of offer suggestions and in the in the, in the see things that maybe he can't see. And um, I've never been one to say this is the way you need to do it. It's it's great when a player can kind of figure it out on his own and I can be there to nudge him a certain way or offer suggestions. But he's just the, I mean, that was kind of a long way to answer your question, but trying to be more athletic, putting him, putting his body in a, in a starting position um, in his secondary stance to move more efficiently, to do block, receive, or throw. That's, that's been his main focus this year. Snides, you've been in Canada, obviously. Vancouver, you've been all over. Now you're in Toronto. Talk about how much you've enjoyed, you know, being in the big leagues and, and just the city of Toronto in general, getting to know it. Because I, I think everybody knows that as it's from there or been there, how special of a city it is. Yeah, the big leagues has been, you know, everything I hope it'd be uh, from the flights to the hotels, to the ballparks, to the everything. Um, the city of Toronto itself is unbelievable. Uh, probably my favorite city to, that I've ever been in. You know, and I was in Vancouver for a couple summers, which is, the perfect time of year to be out there. And that place is just absolutely stunning. So I've always, once I went out there for the first time back in 2011 out in Vancouver, I kind of, I kind of liked the Canadian culture, the people, how friendly they were, how welcoming they were. And to be up in Toronto for this, you know, this whole season so far, it's just, uh, it's just such a really different vibe and different experience than I've ever been a part of in terms of a big city. And I'm having a blast being there. Well, listen, you deserve it. You've you've put your time, obviously. I've seen you as a player. I've seen you as a coach. I've seen you now in the big leagues. And so I know everybody that's ever been around you obviously is, is excited for you and knows that you deserve it all. And, and at some point, we're going to see you as a big league manager uh, in the big leagues. I, I truly believe that. So thanks for coming on. One of the guys that is sort of Schneider's guys uh, you know, we talk about Biggio and Guerrero and Jansen, who's making headlines right now is Bo Bichette. And I actually want to talk about Bo Bichette before I even saw that he had this sit down the other day with, uh, I would say, a friend of the show. Not, not being on the show, but just more of a, a literal friend, uh, Sportsnet David Singh, kind of an unappreciated guy there. But he's he had a really cool story with Bo Bichette the other day where I thought Bichette walked a line, very interesting line, where he said in no uncertain terms, kind of, I deserve to be in the major leagues. But he also said the right things where, you know, he wasn't complaining. He wasn't saying this is an outrage. He was saying, basically, I've done what people expect me to do. I've improved in the ways that I could be expected to improve. And I don't know if there's that much more I can do here. But it was, it was, there was a respectful tone to it. So I just wanted to read a couple of things that Bichette said. 
yeah, I've done everything they've asked me to do. I've performed, I've put up numbers, I've gotten better offensively, defensively, base running as an athlete and as a teammate. Everything they've asked me to do, I've done for the past three years. So if I'm not ready in their mind, there's something new they need to tell me that I need to get better at. And again, like that's a pretty blunt statement in a way, but I, I thought it was put respectfully and it wasn't sort of a, a bad attitude in my view. How do you see him saying that? Well, one, I think that he, you're right. I think he said it respectfully. I think he's a hundred percent accurate. I think that he's going to be in a major league uniform after the all-star break is what I, I believe. I think that they'll make a move. They'll create, they'll, they'll clear the spot in the roster and he'll be up in the, in the big leagues. I think that that's something that they have to really pay attention to. You don't, as a, as a prospect, you always want to time these team, these, these, uh, you know, call-ups, you want to, these promotions, you want to time them correctly. I mean, even as far as from low A to, to high A, high A to double A, trip, you, you try to time them as perfectly as possible because it can either be beneficial or it actually can hurt some people. I think, I think Travis Snyder, one of my best friends on the planet, I think they hurt him with how quick they called him up to the big leagues because they needed to make a move. I think there's some guys that have, have benefited from it being called up quick. I think there's some guys that have have been bad. It was it was bad to hold guys down too long because then they get frustrated. And so timing is a big part of getting called up. I think this kid is ready. He proved it. In, he went to spring training with the mindset of, hey, dude, I know I'm not going to make this team, but I'm going to put the pressure on you. Well, what did he do? He put the pressure on him. Then doesn't make the team. All right, he's a pro. He knows what's going on. He grew up with his dad. He gets baseball, goes down to AAA, gets banged up a little bit. And now he's doing everything that's asked for, everything. He's, he's passed. It's check, 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 check on every test possible. If I do my work and I, this is what is expected of me and I, and I pass that, then you have to pay me, right? That's, that's, and anything you do, you do your work, you get paid. And this is, in essence, the same thing. You, you, you prove yourself at the highest level before the big leagues, and now it's time to test this kid and bring him up. He's a part of the future. You know that. Bring him up. Let him play and let these yet these young guys put the infield. I think this is what I think is going to happen. I think, and I hate it because I think Freddie has been such a good fit for the Blue Jays, but I think somebody trades for Freddie. Freddie's gone. They get they get a prospect back, so he was a good he was a good rental. Bring up Bo, and now you have the infield of the future, and let's see what happens. Let's start. Let's start playing and having fun let's have Guerrero at third let's have Bichette at short let's have Biggio at second let's let's do what we need to do and and let's start going because and, and and this is it sucks for Sogard too but Sogard's in a team that is is you know rebuilding so this is a fun time as a fan but also going back to Bo I think he's said everything accurately and I think he's been a pro about it and it's a, it's a matter of time before he's up in the big leagues yeah, I didn't think that we'd necessarily have this kind of bow watch this year, partly because Vladdy was going to take the spotlight, and then sometimes he has, sometimes he hasn't, but partly because I thought that he still had things to prove with the bat at AAA, and he started the season, and he was, he was kind of okay, and then he got hurt, but he, since he's been back, he's been just, he's been outstanding, he's been lights out, and that's where we've reached this point, right? And the other day, he tweeted out, no point in chasing an outcome when you can't affect that outcome, and that kind of created this outcry of oh was he talking about yada 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 and then the story comes out 
And he claims, and I'm not sure I 100% believe this, that it was about a game where he went one for five and he felt like he should have had four hits, but like that's baseball because he lined it into guys' gloves, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't think yeah. I'm buying that explanation, to be honest. It's kind of funny to me that he, he's trying that's to go like, with that. That's like Noe Ramirez saying that when he hit Jake Marisnik that he, that he was just trying to come in uh, up and in and he let it go by mistake. Listen, dude, you hit him because he hit your catcher in Houston, and that, that's just what it is. So that's, that's one of those things as well. Yeah, like Bo's a smart kid, right? Like he knows that if he tweets that out, like it's going to take off. Like he's not some totally unaware guy who's just blundering through life and tweeting about one triple a game that no one cares about like he's throwing some stuff out there but again i think by and large he's keeping it at an appropriate level he's not you know he's not saying feel sorry for me he's not saying i demand yada 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 but you know you look at those guys like you mentioned galvis is a guy especially he's hit a little bit better recently last kind of month or so could have an appeal to a team i know they like him as a veteran guy in terms of leadership with the spanish speaking players so that's a little bit of a tricky tightrope to walk but creating at bats for bow is a pretty legitimate reason to trade somebody and then eric sogard too he's he's hit so well that he's made himself not a huge trade ship but someone will take him the way he's hit this year he's got some positional flexibility he's kind of a he's a great clubhouse guy like there's there's a market for Eric Sogard. You're not going to get something huge for him. So I can really see at the deadline they move both of those guys and then it's wide open for those at-bats. Yeah, and you know what I really like? I like that the Major League Baseball moved that, that deadline um, because now now you can't – you just can't mess around. Like it, everybody's got to – let's go. you got to make a decision here soon. And so it, it makes it more fun for me to watch now and go – I mean, hey, guys, there's no more. We're going to mess around. We're going to wait for the waiver wire. Like, you got to make some moves, and you got to make them because the clock is ticking. And, I mean, we are in the 17th, all right? The end of the month is not too far away. There's going to be a lot of moves in a short time. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to see. And I think that one of the biggest things – I know Blue Jays fans are going to be watching for, you know, Stroman, what's the return there, what's going to happen with Giles. But I think one of the more interesting things that is going to be out there is, are they moving those middle infielders? And if they are, presumably that's going to be to get Bo Bichette on the field. And that's a pretty exciting prospect at this point. Um, even though we've seen with Vladdy, there's no guarantee a guy's going to hit the ground running and be absolutely dominant right away. And that might not be the case with Bo, but just having him up here is something that I, don't, I honestly didn't expect for 2019. I thought he'd spend the year in AAA. I know I... I went under on our over-under on Bichette at bats, and then you went over. So uh, it's looking like you're going to be right. It's not locked in yet. No, but it's but it's but it's good. It's a good thing, man. And you're right. No one's going to hit the ground running crazy wise as far as you know. Listen, Fernando Tatis Jr. Right, this guy is going insane. There's and he's a young kid. It happens. You know, the major leagues. It's a top level, man. And this is not an easy. This is. Every single day, you got to pack your lunch. I mean, you're looking at Blake Snell won the the Cy Young last year, and he's been getting hit, you know, a little bit. So there's, it, there's just this game is tough, and so the f- only good thing is about this game, as far as being tough, is when you do all when you pass all the tests in AAA with flying colors. There's only one other level that you can get tested at. You have to get tested at the big leagues. There's nothing higher. You have to be able to push these guys, and if it's part of the future, 
experience is going to make this team better for when it needs to be clicking on all cylinders. Okay, before we wrap it up today, we've got a would you rather. It's a little bit of a more complicated one in the sense that it's not a one versus one. It's a, you know, it's five options. So I'm not going to say, would you rather this or this, this or this, this or this. Uh, that'll take forever. But basically, the would you rather is if you could increase the strength of one of your five senses by a thousand times. So would you rather sight or hearing, taste or touch, whichever one you want, which sense would you like to take to the next level? I'm a foodie. So I, I would say, you know, my vision is good. Uh, I'm 2015. That's good enough. I'm, I'm, I can see and I can see. I don't have to squint my eyes. So that's a win. I, I can hear well. Um, I, I, I just, for me, I love food. And I think if you could have taste like a thousand times better, imagine how much you enjoy like a pizza, how much you enjoy like a burger, how much you enjoy certain things. I think it would make it, I mean, insanely better. And I also think that then you could actually fiscally do some damage in a good way. If you have that kind of taste buds, you know, you may be able to be the best sommelier or you may be able to be like hired to do, you know, Hey, this is, this bourbon is better than this, or Hey, let's taste this food. Or I can take like you, you would be able to make it's marketable for sure. Yeah. So that's for me, I'm going taste. I want taste. I thought a lot about taste because taste is something that factors in, you know, on an everyday basis, potentially three times a day, depending how your eating schedule works. My issue with taste is that I think that you could almost become like a food addict. Food could become like heroin to you because it would be so pleasurable. Like the, the idea of a burger that tastes a thousand times better than a burger does now, like you could you might just end up locking yourself in a room and just eating only burgers for your whole life. So I worry about that. Uh, touch, I don't really think there's an advantage to touch. Hearing, uh, I don't know. Like I feel like if you're a really gossipy person, you want to hear people saying about you or something like that, but that's not me. I think I'm going to go with sight. I just think it'd be cool to be able to zoom in over long distances. You could become a prodigy in certain industries with incredible sight. I mean, you could be the best umpire of all time, although robots might be on the way, and I don't think that's a job I'd want to do anyway. There's probably some military applications, to be honest. I don't know exactly what I would do with it, but I'm worried about the temptation of the taste, and I think the sight is the one that is the next most applicable on a day-to-day basis. Uh, so I think I would go sight. Hearing would be overwhelming. Touch would be overwhelming. I don't think there's any advantage to smell, like... I don't see what a thousand times better smell is going to do for you. So I'm going to go with sight. I'm going to basically have incredible grade binoculars in my eyes 24-7. Well, I mean, hey, I I think that would be cool, especially for you. You're up there in the press box. You're watching the game. You can get some real close, tight With our garbage press box in left field so I can actually see some balls and strikes for once. Yeah, you can see some stuff. So I mean, it would be for you. I would see that being an upgrade. I just, I just would, I would really like to walk around through life tasting things at a thousand times higher of a rate. Fair, fair enough. That was number two for me. So we're gonna wrap up there. Appreciate you guys listening. Whether it's Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, leave a review. Continue to subscribe. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week.